And we're kind of spread out all over the place. If you like standing up and moving seats, you can do that. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, go see Mr. Blatch. There is something about this time of year, though, isn't there? <clears throat> all good? It's fine. There is something about the time of year, though, there. It's kind of like an invisible threshold gets crossed somewhere towards the end of November and the beginning of December, a certain milestone passed, and all of a sudden, by unspoken agreement, it's time for carols to dominate the airways. And we hear them everywhere. <laughs> radio, if you listen to the radio, shopping centres, can't even escape them in the sanctity of your own home. <laughs> Everyone is singing and playing Christmas carols, right? And I am not, well, it's no secret that much of the carols phenomenon I find to be a bit of non nonsense, really. But I'm called all sorts of mean and spiteful names because of that, even by my own family. But here I stand, I can do no other. Um, others of you are excited by this time of the year and you're excited by carols, right? A few weeks of the year is not enough. Why aren't we singing carols all year round? All right? Even the ones that are about sleigh bells and snow, and it's 35 degrees outside, by the way, but it's like, oh, we can't get enough of that. All right. Well, they say that a good sign of compromise is that everybody leaves unhappy. So I guess it's a compromise. We will continue to sing carols, not nearly enough for some of you, and far too often for me, and there we go, we will all leave unhappy, all right? So we've compromised. But in all seriousness, the idea of our fascination with singing carols got me thinking late last month as I was preparing myself for the onslaught, not just about carols, but about singing in general. Have you ever thought about it? Singing's weird. Singing is kind of strange, all right? Um, who was it that said in that famous Christmas movie? Buddy the Elf? Seen that? Brilliant, right? Great. Santa sits on a throne of lies. That's my favorite line of all time. Um, <laughs> There's, a, there's a, a scene in that movie, if you've seen it, where one of the characters says, I can't sing. And he says, yes, you can. Said, no, I can't. <laughs> you can sing. Singing is just talking while moving your voice up and down. And that's, that, it's right. Singing's kind of strange. Singing is just 
saying stuff while we tighten and loosen our vocal cords so that the pitch of our voice goes up and down, hopefully in a recognisable pattern. But that's what singing is. If we just look at singing through a, a physiological sort of lens, there's no doubt about it, but singing is kind of strange. It, it's a bit weird. But, but why do we sing then? And why is it not just we who sing or Christians who sing? Why is it that people all over the world, throughout all of history, recorded at least, why is it that people are drawn to sing? Why has it been such a big deal for us that we have not been allowed to sing? Particularly through this period of time in our health mandates and restrictions. Why, why have we longed to gather and sing again? Why do we want to gather with each other and hear our attempts at shortening and loosening our vocal cords? Why have people all over the world, from every nation and every tribe and every era of history and from every religion and belief structure, why have they sung? What is the big deal with it? That's what I was thinking about. And here's a few thoughts as I sort of searched back through Scripture and considered singing. Here's the first reason why I think it's such a big deal. We... As human beings, we are created in God's image. The most fundamental essence of who a human person is, regardless of their race or their gender or even their religion, is the reality that we are all made and marked by our Creator. That's what it means to be made in God's image. Every life, every person, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, each one is a glorious reflection of their creator. And as such, whether we know it or admit it or accept it or embrace it, we are each formed with some type of hidden history to us. As the Bible says, eternity has been placed in our hearts. And as such, we move to a rhythm that sometimes we can't even identify, but it still shapes us. And so as we ask, why do we sing? Whether it's carols this time of the year or any other time of the year, why do we sing? The answer comes, because God does. I love this verse from Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17. I'm sure that I've read it numerous times, but quite a number of years ago, I think my wife, Kath, said to me, have you read this verse? And she came out and showed it to me, and I think she might have written something on it at some point in time. And Zephaniah 3 and 17, it might take you a while to find it in your Bible. Zephaniah is one of those ones that hides in amongst some of the other chapters there in the Old Testament a bit, but let me read it to you. The Lord your God is among you, a warrior to save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. 
quiet you in his love. He will delight in you with singing. In fact, I think some translations say loud singing. God loves to sing loud. Now, I'm not sure what pictures you have of God in your head. Sometimes they're fairly abstract for us. It's very hard for us to try and draw up mental images of who God is. But whatever the image that you have of God, if you haven't already, you need to add to it a picture of God singing loudly. And singing loudly over you. Singing loudly because he wants to express something that it seems can't be expressed without singing. It amazes me. God is pictured in the Bible as a singing God. And not only does he sing, but his singing expresses something. It conveys, just the act of singing conveys something of who he is and how he feels. That verse says he delights in you with singing. Now you can delight in something without singing, that's true. You can enjoy something, you can even express your joy for something without singing, but there's something about singing, it would seem, that God, God gives full voice to his delight and it comes out as a song. Now, for those of you who love singing, you just go, well, duh, Chris, of course. But for people like me, whose, whose singing is not my first, my first inclination is not towards a song. My first inclination is towards how, how words are structured. What does it say? And so if there's a debate about a song that we should sing at church, my first argument is, what does it say? What do the lyrics say? All right? And that's, that's important. We'll get to that in a moment. What does the song say? But a song isn't just words. Those words are set to music. They're set to a pattern. They, they do something. There's something more than the words that's expressed by a song. And God doesn't just delight in you by what he says. God delights in you by what he sings. So if God sings, it only makes sense that his creation should sing as well. If we are made in his image then something of the song of God has rubbed off on us. It's not because we've been conditioned to do so. I've been coming to church since before I can remember. I was probably brought along to church as a two-week-old or a three-week-old when I was able to leave the hospital. In fact, I think that maybe the very first church service that I ever attended was probably had a red dirt floor with some old corrugated sheets of iron around it in a little community up in the Gulf. Probably the very first church service I may have ever attended. 
But regardless of where it was and the types of songs that were sung, I've spent 45-something years, at least on a weekly basis and often more, listening to songs. And so you might say, well, Chris, you're conditioned to think that way. But it's not just Christians who do this. All sorts of people from all sorts of places and religions and tribal customs somehow start to move their vocal cords in ways to express something that can't be expressed in just the words that we say. And it's because we're shaped just like God is. He made us that way. That's the first reason, I think, that we should answer what's the big deal with singing. Second one is this. I think God desires our singing. Not only are we singing because, well, we were just made that way. God actually wants us. God longs for it. God's heart for setting words to melodies is evident from the fact that you can just read through the book of Psalms. One of the ones that, um, coffee cup verse maybe, Sing to the Lord a new song. And there's a few people in this room just going, yes, new songs. (laughs) Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. What about this one? Psalm 47, verse 6. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. Do you get the recurring theme in that? It's subtle, I know. It's subtle. must be a chorus. Repeat it again. Go back to the bridge. In just four verses, we're commanded to sing seven times. All told, the Bible contains over 400 references to singing. 50 direct commands to sing. The longest book of the Bible, the Psalms, is a book of songs. In the New Testament, we're commanded not once, but twice to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another when we meet. You find that in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. Why does God so often tell us Not simply to praise him, but to sing his praises when we meet. Because again, not only can you delight in something, you can also praise something without singing. My wife cooks a lovely meal and I sit down and I can say, Oh, Dal, what's this? And she can say, wrestles. Okay? Like, but it's what you've done with them. Some people are just going, that's not funny at all. I have no idea. What's you, can, you can praise something and praise someone without singing. And we should. We should use our words. But God actually says, sing praises. Sing praises. 
We're commanded to do so. Why not just pray and preach? I'm a preacher. I love preaching. I love good preaching. I love figuring out what makes good preaching good preaching. Why don't we just pray and preach? Why sin? Why are God's people throughout history always singing? That's usually my response when the kids say, can we, put, we watch a movie? It's like, sure. It's like, it's a Disney movie. Should be fine. You sit down and you go, oh, they're singing again. Like, <laughs> and I've thought that in church services as a kid too. We come, it's like, oh, we're singing again. And, and look, we can give the new songs a bit of a hard time. It's like, oh, they're repeating the chorus. Have you, have you read through some of those hymn books? I mean, how, some hymns have got like 700 verses and you've got to repeat the chorus between every verse as well. And you can sit there and think, why are we singing again? Why are words and music important? Why does God want us to sing? You know what's one of the last things Jesus did just before he went to the cross? One of the last things he did, Jesus sang a hymn with his disciples and then went out to the garden. In Hebrews chapter 2, the writer there applies Psalm 22, verse 22, to Jesus when it says, In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And Ephesians 5 tells us that one effect, one effect of being filled with the Spirit. So when, when God takes up residency in our hearts and consumes us to the point that it's, it's his desire and his purpose that is most on the surface of our life and not our own flesh, when the Holy Spirit fills us, one of the effects is that we address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts. We worship... A triune God who sings and who wants us to sing just like him. So how should we sing then? How should we sing? I read a book a few years ago by a bloke by the name of Bob Coughlin. I think a few of you, Luke, you've read it and a few of you guys have read the book as well. I read a, wrote a book called Worship Matters. Great book if you've been thinking about worship and a place of singing and music and, and other elements of worship, I really recommend that book. Bob's been thinking about worship, and in particular, I think how singing and music serve our worship for a long time. And in that book, um, I've heard him reference this idea on other occasions when I heard him speak. A couple of years back, he was visiting here in Australia, and he spoke on a, work, a workshop that I, I listened to as well. He uses a really simple summary to help us think about the, the place of singing and music as a means by which we can worship. 
and I'm going to quote something that he, he wrote. It says, when it comes to combining music and words, Christians tend to fall into one of three categories. So he's going to give us our three categories. Maybe you'll, you'll align yourself with one of these three categories. Some Christians think that music supersedes the word, is above the word, both in its significance and effect. They think that words without music, and that's usually a certain kind of music, are dry, unaffecting, and unimportant. They say things like, music speaks to me better than words can, or I can't worship unless I hear the style of music that I like. And for these folks, the impact of words is not only helped by the music, but is dependent on the music. Other Christians think that music undermines the word. As far as they're concerned, any time that you combine music with words in the church, you're asking for problems. They fear the power that music seems to have over people, and so they want to restrict its use. Third category. But music and the word aren't meant to be in conflict with each other. God himself wants them together. That's why he tells us in Psalm 147 verse 1, praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. God didn't intend that music supersede the word or that music undermine the word. He gave us music to serve the word. When that relationship is understood and appreciated, music becomes a powerful gift from God that complements, supports, and deepens the impact of the words that we sing. That's Bob Coughlin's words. Here are a few things that I know, and these I think are true, whether you consider yourself musically advanced or stunted. Here's a few things that we know to be true about singing. Number one, songs actually help us remember things. Every preschool teacher knows this to be true. Every parent wish it wasn't. (laughs) Our brains function differently when music is involved. You've seen, have you seen those viral videos that go around? They, they're amazing. Maybe an elderly, I've seen one recently of an elderly woman in a home who was far advanced in the ravages of dementia. She couldn't recall the names of her own family. She couldn't recognize their face and her memories of her life attached to them had seemed to have vanished, certainly couldn't be recalled and brought to the surface. And then yet, only takes the opening notes or a chord of an old hymn to start being played on a radio or a tape player of some sort, 
and she springs to life and sings word-perfectly old songs from her youth. I saw another one of an elderly lady again, unresponsive to any verbal interaction around her, sitting in a wheelchair late in her life. And someone played one of the key songs, um, I think, from Swan Lake. Just the music, an orchestral piece. And this lady who was one moment ago slumped over in her chair, physically unable to sit upright, all of a sudden just became erect, and her arms and her body started moving gracefully in time with the music, and then we find out that this elderly lady, once upon a time in her early 20s, had been a prima ballerina and had performed on the stages of the world to Swan Princess. Something about the music had embedded in her mind in a way that so many other things couldn't. Music helps us remember things. And in our context, we want to say that music helps us remember the most important things. Number two, songs express God-given and I believe supremely appropriate emotions that words alone are unable to carry. It doesn't matter how great a wordsmith you are, the ability to craft the perfect sentence will always fall short of carrying the type of emotion that only a song can bring. Songs allow us to more profoundly feel the truths that we say. It doesn't make them more true, but it does help us to feel in our emotion the impact of those truths. Number three, songs, especially songs written by other people, give us the words and the phrases to express our heart's affections towards God that we might otherwise struggle to come up with ourselves. Not all of us are gifted to be able to put words together in a way to express things. And sometimes somebody else's song helps give voice to what our heart feels, but maybe doesn't know how to say. That's a good reason to sing. Number four, the songs that we sing together are a means through which we can remind each other of the gospel. Singing together, I believe, is a gospel behaviour. Not just a song which says true things that somebody else sings, that can be good. But the reason why I love the fact that we sit like this and sit close enough to be able to hear your rusty voice and for you to be able to hear mine is that it doesn't really matter a great deal because as you sing these songs, your singing reminds me of truths that I need to hold on to. It is a mutual proclaiming of good news. A way that we can stand with each other and spur each other on in the walk of faith is simply to stand with each other or sit with each other and hear each other sing. 
And the fifth thing that I think it's important that we sing is whether you consider yourself a great singer or not, or whether you love the style of music here or not, whether you think that hymns are superior, or if you can name all the most influential Christian songwriters from the last decade, none of those things actually matter. In the book of Revelation, there's a passage where the host of heaven aren't in unity because of the style of the music that they sing, but because of the focus of their song. Revelation chapter 5, verse 10, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And I love those words. I've read them many, many times until recently when I read them and I realized I've been reading that wrong because I've been reading it without a tune in my voice. Because that's not just words that they're saying. It says they sang a new song. And we just get to read the lyrics. I don't know what the tune's going to be yet. One day we'll find out. So I'm wondering if, if you'd like to sing a song together. Just a way to conclude it. Hey, it might be a bit nervous. I'm actually suggesting that we don't do it with any music or even any... I'd turn my mic off, that's for sure. <laughs> I'd love to just to hear us sing a song together. Um, and I will concede the point and I'll say, let's sing a carol. Yeah? All right, we'll sing a carol. Um, what's, what's a, I, I didn't plan any of this. I don't have words on the screen. Um, what's, what's a carol that, that, that most of us would know, are familiar enough with that we can bumble through the words a little bit? Oh, come all you faithful? All right. I'm not, not the whole thing, just like, just the first one. So can you turn my mic off now? Thank you. 